What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? Does it mean we have to be members of a church? Well, these are just two of the questions that we'll deal with today. So stay with us to find out what the Bible says about these things and much more. This is the Question and Answer Program, a ministry of the Through the Bible Radio Network. Our teacher is Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who for over 30 years answered the questions of his many listeners. We begin our program with this question from a listener in Holland, Michigan. It says, would you explain the significance of the number 40 in the Bible? Well, the numbers in Scripture are significant, but don't try to build too much on numbers. I think that once established the primary purpose of a number, then don't try to build something else on those numbers. After all, the Bible is not a book on arithmetic or mathematics, but numbers are significant in Scripture. Number seven is not the number of perfection. It's the number of completeness, and there's a difference between perfection and completeness. And then the word 40 seems to be the number of testing. You see that the waters abated 40 days. In other words, that was a complete time of judgment by water of the earth. And you follow it all through. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt. He had a complete test given to him there. It was given a complete test In fact, he took his B.A., I should say, B.D. degree out in the desert of Midian. That is the backside of the desert degree. And God retrained him there. And 40 years in the wilderness was a complete time of training. The Lord Jesus was tested 40 days complete. And I think that it's a number of testing. I think that you find that in all the cases that you've mentioned, why that is the significance of it. Our next question comes to us from a listener in Burbank, California. He writes, Do the phrases church and body of Christ only refer to those who belong to and go to church? I attend church from time to time, although I'm not really a member. I've found a Bible-believing church that I enjoy, but I have never met a member. Frankly, daily study with Through the Bible and Dr. McGee is quite sufficient for me. What do you think? I would actually be more inclined to say that There ought to be a relationship, but actually there's no relationship between the two because actually the church and the body of Christ, they are the same. The believers that began on the day of Pentecost will continue down to the parousia, the time of the rapture, and they'll be taken out. They're one body presented as a bride to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the group and they are believers in Christ. Now, they may or may not belong to a church. I think if they fulfill their commitment as a Christian, they ought to be identified with a local church because that's the way that you become visible in the world. You identify yourself with other believers. But absolutely, it's got so today that right now, many men are saying that they feel that It's under 50% today that church members are actually born-again believers. 
Today you hear of entertainers and politicians that boast of the fact they've been born again. Their lives just don't reveal that. I'm not to sit in judgment on them. All of them, I think, belong to some church, but that doesn't mean anything. Have they really trusted Christ as saved? That's the important thing. Now, their lives should reflect that. And I think it should reflect it in being identified with a local church in some way or another. Now, as well as we like to think of the Through the Bible radio, it is no substitute with identifying yourself locally with a church and the right kind of a church. It's no good to join the wrong kind of a church, but certainly to join a Bible-believing church, you are able there to witness in a corporate way. You are also able to encourage the local work of God in your community. And really, the through the Bible radio is just an aid, an assist to the local church. And I like to think that that's our ministry today. We hope in this country to help the local church. We hope outside of the local church, we can reach the unbeliever, get him saved, and get him in the church. I can say this truthfully. There are literally now thousands of families that have come to Christ and have joined local churches across this country because of listening to the program. And that's the way we want it, because we want to help the church. We also would like to be the missionary for the church way out yonder in China where they can't go today. We can go there. We'd like to be their missionary in Russia. They can't go there. We can And then we can go to places in Africa where missionaries are not even safe today so that we have a tremendous opportunity and we think our work is important, but we do not think it's a substitute for the local church. We come now to a question from a listener in Wisconsin. It says, I have some friends who are strong Catholics and they say their church was the first church through which we are saved. I explain that it's not the church which saves us, but our belief in Jesus Christ, which they agree with. I also explain that their church was not the first church. They also say that their Bible is true and best. Could you help me in responding to their claims? Well, may I say they have a very good Bible, and also there are many very fine believers in the Roman Catholic Church. But actually, when you go back to the early church, There is no church in existence today that can say that they go back to the very beginning for the very simple reason that there's no church today that resembles that early church. And that early church could say silver and gold, have I none? But they could make that crippled man walk. And even today where these people who claim to be faith healers operate, I noticed that they never say silver and gold have we none, and we don't want it. They seem to be very much interested in the silver and the gold. So that I don't see any New Testament churches around today at all. They're just not here. Every now and then I get a letter I hear from a pastor who says, I'm a pastor of a New Testament church. Well, I don't mean to contradict folk like that, but 
He just doesn't happen to be a pastor of a New Testament church. Because in the New Testament church, if anybody lied, they dropped dead. If you doubt that, you someday ask Ananias and Sapphira about that. You couldn't get by with lying in the early church. Do you think you can get by with it today in any church? I think you can. And it doesn't make any difference what the name of your church is. You see, down through the years, there's been a tremendous change in the local church. And that change exists in the Roman Catholic Church. That change exists in Protestant churches today, so that no church can boast that it is the oldest and suppose it is. That may be the worst criticism that could be made against it is that it goes way back and has come down through the years and has taken on a whole lot of things that are not in the Bible. So that actually it doesn't have anything to do with the church at all. The important thing is, as this part is said, and you've given the correct answer, it is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would pin that down on any person Roman Catholic or Protestant or Pentecostal or any group, when they begin to tell me about how superior their group is, always like to just, let's pin it down now, tell me what the Lord Jesus Christ means to you. And I'll tell you what he means to me. We'll be very personal about it. Then we'll find out if you're really born again, And then it won't make any difference really about the local church, except that if you really trust him, you ought to get in a church that glorifies him and nothing else. My feeling is that this argument about the church, and we Protestants are guilty of this. I get a little weary today of people that tell me my forebears, they were Presbyterian, they were Methodists, they were Baptist. So what? What about you? What is your personal relationship to Christ? Let's keep it right there and not worry about the church. Moving on, we have a question here that comes to us from Auburn, New York. The listener writes, As a nurse, I have had to prepare many bodies for the undertaker. I'm studying the book of Numbers right now, and I've been puzzled why God stresses so much on the issue of those who touch dead bodies and then would be unclean for seven days. When I ask other Bible students about this, they often reply that God's ways are not our ways. I know that the Bible does not have any unnecessary words, so could you help me with this issue? May I say to you that when you're given that answer, it means the party who gives it to you, they don't know either. And so they like to give a nice, pious answer, and it is a very pious, nice answer because God's ways are not our ways. That's true. But I do think that the Word of God is a little helpful to us in this particular case. Now, first of all, let me take your last statement there about that there is not one unnecessary word in the Bible. Very frankly, I think there are many places that I could wish God had used more words. It would have been helpful. For instance, the creation story. I wish he'd have put in about a hundred more words there, but he didn't do it because this is all he wanted us to know. Then there are other places where God puts in a great deal of words 
that I'll be very frank with you. As far as I can see, why did he keep repeating them? When God does that, you can be sure of one thing, that there's a purpose in it, though it may seem unnecessary, and it may be. But the point is, God is stressing something that he considers very important. Now, the Old Testament religion was a ritualistic religion. It also dealt with that which was physical as well as that which was spiritual. In fact, everything in it that was physical had a spiritual interpretation. That's the way God taught these people. And that's the way he teaches us today. And back in the Old Testament, you read of these rituals and these laws that God gave his people. And there's always a purpose in it. And there was a spiritual purpose in it. Again and again, if I may use an example, God told the priests that they would go to the lave and wash. Every time they made a sacrifice, they had to go and wash. Every time they went in the holy place, they had to come out and go and wash. If they stepped outside and got back in, they'd have to go wash at the lave. And I have a notion that probably... Two priests met at the labor one day. One's washing his hands, the other's washing his feet. And one of them says to the other, don't you get tired of coming here? He says, look at my hands. I got dishpan hands. I've been here so much today. Wash it. And I think if Aaron overheard them, Aaron would come up and said, do you know why God has you do that? He's trying to tell you that he hates sin and anything that's dirty. God hates it. He cannot accept it. Therefore, he's trying to tell us that if we're going to serve him, we got to be clean and that God hates sin. That's the reason that he repeated that so much. I'll be honest with you. When I read Leviticus, I say, for goodness sakes, why keep telling us that you got to wash every time? Well, you get back and look for the spiritual lesson. Now, let's look at your particular problem. I do not know whether you were referring to the sixth chapter of Numbers that has to do with the Nazarite. That was a vow that anyone could take in Israel. And that vow that they took in Israel was a vow that, first of all, they would never touch anything that came from the vine, that is, grapes either raisins or grapes or wine. And what is wine a symbol of? Of joy. And God says you're not to find your joy in the things of this world. You find it in the things of the Lord. And the Nazarite, when he took a vow, is to be absolutely committed to God. And then the men were not to get a haircut, let the hair grow long. Now, of course, today that's different. But I think it's still true. Paul says, it's a shame if a man has long hair. When I see some of these around today, I still think Paul is right. It does look to me like it's a shame. I wish some of them would get a haircut. They need it. Help the barbers, too. But the thing is, they were willing to bear shame in that day. Willing to bear shame for Christ's sake or for God's sake in that day. Now, they were never to touch a dead body, even of a loved one. Well, what does the dead body symbolize? Well, death is the result of sin. 
By man came death. And by one man's sin, death is entered into the human family. Death speaks of judgment of sin, speaks of sin, the result of sin. And therefore, God's people have nothing to do with sin. And have you ever noticed that the heathen and pagan, and that doesn't mean just over in Africa or Asia or in the islands of the sea. It means right here in Los Angeles. I think today that our funerals have become almost pagan. Their body has to be embalmed and dressed up and made to look like something. Well, my friends, I don't want to be put on display for every Tom, Dick, and Harry to come by and, you know, and look down and say, well, doesn't he look natural? And nobody ever looked natural in death. And death's the most unnatural thing in the world. And we put so much emphasis today on death. That's a heathen thing. In that day, I tell you, they buried them. <laughs> and they did it right away. They didn't wait for Aunt Lucy to arrive from Australia before they buried the individual. They put them in the grave. Because death is the result of sin. And today, we've gotten so far away from these great spiritual lessons. And that is the thing that is important. Now, I want to say this to you. I don't believe if I were you that I would say that there's no unnecessary word in the Bible. I think there are quite a few of them there that are repetition. Why did God repeat it so many times? He just didn't want his people to miss the great spiritual lessons that are there. And then God gave that Old Testament religion to them, and it to us is a picture book of our own redemption today. Great spiritual lessons that are there for you and for me. We come now to our final question for the day. It's from a listener in Fort Worth, Texas, who writes, Why does Naaman ask for two mule loads of earth in Second Kings 5, verse 17? I looked in your edited messages, but you did not comment on it. It's not important, but difficult to understand. Could you please explain what it means? Well, the reason that in our Through the Bible that we did not go into detail on this is because it is one that is just not that important, and yet it is a question that would naturally arise. The commentators all disagree about it, and it's difficult to understand. Frankly, that's the reason I didn't deal with it is because there are too many opinions concerning it, and I didn't want to spend time given the different viewpoints. And I don't intend to do that today, but I'm going to make a suggestion to you as to an answer. And first of all, let's read the verse and the question. And by the way, this is 2 Kings 5, 17. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the Lord. Now, we have here the gratitude of Naaman to Elisha for the fact he's been healed of leprosy. You can imagine the gratitude of this man when he was told to go dip in the Jordan River. Now, he was in a position to make a substantial gift 
to Elisha for this. In fact, the matter is, he would have made a royal gift to him. But Elisha turned it down. Elisha was trying to teach this man a very important lesson that you can't buy spiritual gifts with money. The material and the spiritual are forever separated, and yet I do believe money can be used in a spiritual manner, but certainly no one would ever suggested that this man, Naaman, would thinking of money in a spiritual sense. And so Naaman was hard put to it. He said, well, what in the world can I do for this man? So he thought that he would do this. And he said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth. Now, what he means by that, I'm going to send you two mules burden, which means all the dirt that two mules could carry. And I suspect that wouldn't be too much, but it'd be quite a bit. But why would he offer him that? Well, to tell the truth, Syria at this time was occupying part of the northern kingdom. And that ground up there was very sacred to the average Israelite. And I think Naaman knew that. And what many of the interpreters say is that what he's sending him enough to make an earthen altar to offer sacrifices on. And then there are those that think that he wanted to send enough earth so he could spread it out on which he could make an altar on which to worship. Now, it is true that when the children of Israel were carried away captive to Babylon, they wanted to try to build a temple, and they didn't succeed very well, but they brought dirt from Jerusalem to build it on that dirt, actually feeling that the very dirt itself had some merit in it. And Naaman, being a pagan heathen, he thought that, my, Elisha would appreciate a thing like this, that he would do that. But if you'd read the next verse, you'd see that Naaman actually seems to be saying that he intends to worship the living and true God. But then he goes on to say that he intends to continue to go into the house of Rimmon, which was a heathen god that the people in Syria worshipped at that time. And he intended to go in there because of his position with the king and that sort of things. In other words, he's playing politics. We have a lot of politicians that start going to church when they're running for office and after they get elected, they try to keep up a front. And they do that, and that's not strange to human nature because... Here, way back in these days, why, this is what Naaman wanted to do. So exactly what he means is that. Now, actually, one commentator is saying that to him, it is just the same as we would say today, why, give me your picture, or I will send you my picture, something like that. Well, I don't see that in it at all. I think that it actually has to do with that which was heathen. This man was a heathen. He wanted to change, he said, but there are a lot that make this statement they want to change and even say they're born again. I don't know whether they are or not, but they say they are, and that's what this man said, but he still was going to go to the temple of Rimon. So I would say that 
as you've indicated, this is not too important a question. And that's the reason we bypassed it before. But this is one of those many passages of Scripture that it's very difficult to understand. And don't say it's just because it's in the King James. Look at some of the new translations, and you'll find out they didn't improve it either. Or else they gave their own viewpoint of it, which I don't think they had any right to do. If you're going to call it a translation, you have to translate the language. Well, we hope that you've been blessed by today's program. If you're still searching for answers to your Bible questions, then we'd like to suggest that you visit our online bookstore for a complete listing of all the resources that we have available by Dr. McGee. When you get there, you'll find numerous books, booklets, CDs, and many other helpful tools that you can use to study and understand the Word of God yourself. Now, as you were listening to the broadcast, you may have heard an answer or two that you thought would be helpful to pass on to someone to help in their understanding of the Bible. Well, you can do just that by purchasing a CD copy of this program, or you could point them to the archives page on our website to listen via streaming audio. Finally, if they have a smartphone, let them know that they can download our mobile app to listen at their own convenience. We'd like to remind you to join us this week on the Through the Bible radio program. We'll be continuing Dr. McGee's five-year journey through the Word of God, book by book and chapter by chapter. If you're a lover of the Word of God and a serious student, you'll want to be added to our mailing list for our notes and outlines and our monthly newsletter to help you along with our studies and to keep you informed of the ongoing work of this ministry. To contact our offices, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. Do that Monday through Thursday from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Or write to Questions and Answers in the U.S. Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325. London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Or find us online at ttb.org. We want to thank you for your faithfulness in supporting this ministry through your prayers and financial giving. And we also want to leave you with this prayer that God will answer all your questions and solve all your problems. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson This program's been brought to you by the faithful friends and supporters of the worldwide ministry of Through the Bible Radio Network.